A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the latest Ramble Meets. I'm Andy Brassel and today's guest is Clive Allen, one that I'm very excited about because Clive Allen is a huge part of my football childhood. The first year in which I regularly watched football, 86-87, was the one in which Clive Allen went on that incredible scoring rampage for Tottenham Hotspur, scoring 49 goals in all competitions. Um, But I've come to know Clive um, more, bumping into him at BT Sport in, in recent years. He's always very... Um, open and engaging and uh, always got little bits of his stories from Tottenham, from Bordeaux, where he went after Spurs, which is a particular interest of mine. And we got into a few of those subjects in greater depth here. I really hope you enjoy it. So I guess the first thing, Clive, is what was the experience of writing an autobiography like? Was it almost quite nice to become reacquainted with your career. Yeah, I think so. Just um, all the memories that come back, the things that you, that, that obviously made a, a real impact in your life, but also uh, just recalling and actually things that popped up that you, you might have, have forgotten about. So um, yeah, I think it was it was therapeutic. It was something that was um, at times it was emotional. Yeah. Working with, with James Ollie, the author, it was, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, it was a really pleasant experience and obviously coming to fruition now with a book being launched and published um, and actually seeing it, it's been uh, probably two years in the making yeah. and um, it's something that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. Well, there's a, there's a lot to pick through, I guess, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to some of it. Um, but I guess the thing that surprised me when I first started working with football and, and I guess to an extent will surprise a lot of people listening is the fact that there are a lot of footballers out there and I would say the majority of footballers who maybe don't have an encyclopedic uh, encyclopedic recall of their own career. I mean, there's that brilliant story that I really loved in the book about um, you having an argument with Richard Keyes about, no, Keith Houchin scored the winner in the, in the 87 Cup final and you were really insistent and Richard Keyes is going, no, 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 that's not how it happened. And then you go back and you, you find that out. I mean, how do you think that works in footballers' minds? Do you think it's because it's, it's such a treadmill that it's, it's easy to lose the, the, the thread of the detail? Yeah, I think so. Um, and certainly that, that was the case with that particular story because I, obviously I think since 
playing in that 87 cup final yeah. and and seeing back um, you know you, you see repeats of it or you see the goals that were scored in it and I suppose in a way it become etched on my mind that Keith Alchin's header was the winning goal it, it should have been it was a brilliant goal it was a magnificent <laughs> goal yeah and I was convinced because I think in a way you, you I tried to block it out because of the result because actually you know, whenever anybody talked about it, they said, "Oh, oh, yeah, that was a that was a great cup final." Oh, oh, didn't you score in the second minute? Oh, and what was the score? Everybody always says, "And what was the result?" And it, and obviously, you then have to and you recall it and you go, "Oh, yeah, well, I know it was a great cup final, but we lost, and really, I don't want to talk about it." Um, and and that was a that was a, an, an amazing incident because I was totally convinced that Keith Alchin scored the winning goal. And Keezy, being a Coventry supporter, <laughs> always, whenever I met him, always said to me, uh, remind me, he said, um, what was the score in the uh, cup final, 87? So, yeah, I've, 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 I've known him for a long time and that, that and it, it wasn't, I basically just had to reboot. I had to look back, see the facts and think, my goodness, it was Gary Mabbott's own goal that was actually the, the winning goal. Were there any other bits of, of your career that were almost revelations to you when you and James were going back and going through it all? Uh, to be honest, not too many, because uh, in terms of goal scoring, uh, it, it almost, it, you know, it's, it's almost, it's, 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 an, it's imprinted there in my mind. You can go back to certain games and I'll tell you, uh, well, I'd hope to tell you the type of goal it was, mm. how it came about, and um, what I actually did to finish it. It was just that's just something that's imprinted there. So and the that, goals stick in your mind more than the games. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I, I remember playing at grounds and I scored a goal there, and, and they're the things that, that that for me that I remember. You know, I, I could talk you through my first ever goal at Villa Park. Um, where I came in off the left side, wound the ball from the corner of the 18-yard box into the far corner. I came on as a young, young 17-year-old for Queen's Park Rangers. Yeah. Um, obviously, the my, my full debut against Coventry, a bog of a pitch at Loftus Road, and the first goal running through and and and, and firing it from outside the box into the top corner. So so many goals are just there. They're in. They're you know they're in. They're in the uh, in the bank there. I mean, that's a goal scorer's thing, isn't it? It's something you hear Tony Cotty, one of your contemporaries, Absolutely. talk yep. about quite a lot. He's got a great recall for that. Jermaine yep. Defoe famously had a scrapbook. I know you worked with well, Jermaine quite a lot. When you worked with Jermaine, did you see like a bit of yourself in him? Yeah, and I think we, we, we struck up a really good relationship. And there were times when um, we were doing certain finishing sessions where there'd been particular chances in games that I'd seen as a coach watching him play. And I'd ask him, I'd say to him, Jermaine, you know, what, what was you actually thinking at that moment in time? And he'd say, and I'd say, well, perhaps if you'd have done this, and he'd go, how'd you know that? And I'd say, well, <laughs> actually, Jermaine, I've been there and, and, you know, I scored doing this. And there were times when he, you know, it, the ball might be under his feet and he'd strike the ball early and he'd score where the goalkeeper wasn't set and it was fired past him before the goalkeeper could react. And I remember times coming in the dressing room and saying, you know what, coach? He said, you know, it, that was it. That was that. And they go, yeah. So, and it, it, the one thing with Jermaine, I've, I'm sure he's still got it today. You know, they're talking about him carrying on playing. Fantastic hat trick for Rangers uh, not too long ago. Yeah. And and I think that he will because he he just it's a drug to him. He loves he loves playing. He loves scoring goals, and and he'll continue to do that. I've thoroughly enjoyed working with him. I mean, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? I mean, like. In, in one way, it's seen in, in football terms as 
like a criticism of a striker to say that person is just a goal scorer or a pure goal scorer. Yeah. That's been seen to be the way in current times. Well, but I've got to say there that I, I actually thought of naming the book he only scored goals. Oh, because, really? Yeah, because, because, and that was something that was discussed. Obviously, the book is now called Up Front, but yeah, it, that was something that came into my head because that was something that was levelled at me throughout my career. Well, yeah, yeah, Clive Allen, he only scored goals. Which, which is funny because obviously it's the most important part of football, isn't it? It is, and that, that, that to me was, was why I, I thought it was, you know, it, mm. it, 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 it's something that I've, I've heard, obviously. It's something that I understand. It's been levelled at me, but it's not, it's not a bad thing, to be honest. No, and you know what? I think football has kind of come around full circle a little bit. I think you had that spell sort of starting in the 90s where that wasn't enough anymore, where people exactly. expected yeah. um, an all-round game, and I think... To an extent, they got that from players like Stan Collymore, who could do so much more. Yeah. But I think now, when you look at a lot of modern European strikers, you look at or strikers in the European game, you look at Mauro Icardi, yeah. you look at Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. They're only alive when they're in the penalty box. Lewandowski. So there's a number. There's a number now. I think. Yeah. yeah. Aguero. I think Aguero is the archetypal goal scorer. Yeah. That that is his contribution team. It's massive. It's massive yeah. for the team. But also, you know, moving into coaching. When you are analysing players, and, and certainly for me, looking at strikers, the goal record was so important. And then it was always, well, what else do they give us? Are they quick? Can they hold the play up? Do yeah. they link the play? Do they come back? Do they create chances for their teammates? And it was, it was almost like they became the overriding factors rather than actually, if he plays, he scores a goal every two games. Yeah. That, that is... You know that is massive, massive for any team. I mean, there's an argument as as well that say say if I was a coach, for example, I would like my strikers to to run less, or at least my main goal scorer to run less. Because I mean, I know you watch a lot of French football, Clive, and the thing that always strikes me about Edinson Cavani, he's a player who kind of splits opinion. I mean, I don't think there's much doubt that he's one of the the, the greatest strikers out there of the last ten years, but people don't think of him is totally cold in front of goal. And you look at his style of play, the fact that it covers every blade of grass. Yeah. I mean, how difficult is it to compose yourself when you've run 60 metres beforehand? Well, exactly. And, 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 it, and it takes away from your greatest strength. Mm. And I've actually said that to, to, to players that I've coached, strikers that I've worked with, that actually, we don't want you out on the touchline taking two or three touches, passing it back to the fullback, because mm. when the fullback delivers that cross, you can't be in there, you can't be in a goal scoring position to take that chance. Yeah. Whereas if you almost let that build up take place and you're central, you start from the edge of the box in the D and make those five, whatever, 10 yard runs that get you into a goal scoring position, there's a chance you score. Not a chance you score, you will score because that's what you're you're working towards. And sometimes I think, Strikers do lose that. They lose that instinct that it's where should I be to score goals rather than I need to be involved in the game, pick up the play, link the play. And, and that is something that um, I, would always, I would always pick up and speak to strikers that I work with. And I think sometimes Harry has become a culprit of that recently. Right. Certainly in the last few months, when you look at his game, if he's in goal scoring positions and he gets chances, he scores goals. And he always will because he has that instinct, he has that ability. But when he's out down the channels, he's back in his own half, he can't score goals from there. People talk about his passing from deep an awful lot. I mean, he is a really terrific passer. Absolutely. The ball, but yeah. would you like to see him do that less almost? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that people say, well, Spurs are having a difficult time. Yes. 
But if you looked and you analysed Harry's game um, just solely, I bet he's had very few chances in terms of goal-scoring opportunities to those that he had when it was really flowing last season or the season before. Mm. Goal-scoring consistently was about the number of chances created for him and the positions that he was in to take those chances. And I would I would hazard a guess now, and I haven't done the research, but I think if someone looked at it, you'd find that he was definitely in goal-scoring positions, being given more chances, and he scored more goals. And so we're talking about Spurs, we're talking about goal scorers, we're inevitably going to end up talking about 86, 87 at Spurs. And you know, I think it's quite right that we think of that as a, a, a pinnacle of your career. Absolutely, yeah. But having said that, you've been through a lot to get to that point in the first place, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the thing that comes to mind straight away was the injury just a year before. Mm. I had the worst injury in my career. I was literally incapacitated for a whole se- whole year, not well, that, a season. They but couldn't a year. figure out what it was. No, they? I had I'd ruptured an adductor in my groin. It was there and, and until surgery took place and it was repaired um, that I recovered. I, I work I know how hard I worked to get back. Um, and I was just desperate to get back playing football because there were times in that period where, you know, I thought, I wonder what's wrong. There's something wrong and we you know, couldn't find the, the the reason. And people thought it was in your head. Yeah, there there was there was moments where you know, obviously I'd had hernia repairs, and they thought that that was the problem. Yeah, uh, they were repaired, and I came back or tried to come back, but wasn't right. Um, and it wasn't until the the uh, adductor tail was found that um, it was it was operated on, and I recovered over a period of time, um, and then obviously got back to to the best form of my life which was which was incredible well even before that I, I mean it's, it's it's almost surreal I think looking back at some aspects of your career and particularly the move to Arsenal yeah and then the move shortly after that to Crystal Palace I mean to, to kind of put this in a modern context for Arsenal to pay a fee of over a, a, a million pounds 1.25 million in 1980 yeah. which was the first million pound transfer for a teenage player in the world and, yeah. and it made front page news it was like this game's gone mad what's happened to football how can how can Arsenal pay this much money for a teenage footballer but but for them to buy you and then Terry Neal and Don Howe to turn around six weeks later and go it's not working out without you having played a actual proper first team game obviously you played a little two, bit two in and a half pre-season games two yeah. and a half pre-season games yeah. I mean, it's the equivalent of a Premier League club going out spending 60 million on a striker and then six weeks later a teenage striker a teenage, teenage striker, striker. <laughs> and then deciding no 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 it's, it's a terrible idea I mean it's funny that, that was one of the things reading back in the book we're talking about how going back and it, it was maybe a, a little bit therapeutic for you but do you still struggle a bit to make sense of that? Um, yeah, because it was bizarre. And, and again, when you put it into context and you, you try to um, equate it with a modern game today, it's not going to happen, is it? I don't well, think... They, they wouldn't be able to shift you no, for a start. No, that's they? right. Exactly. And, and certainly, you know, it, it, was, it was extraordinary. It really was. But I always say, and I say to this day, I say in the book, that it, it certainly I was 18 and... I grew up. I was I was a, I was a boy really going from QPR to Arsenal, but I do think that when I moved from Arsenal with everything that that entailed to Crystal Palace, I had to become a man. I had to, in a way, I had to toughen up, and I think I had a 
I had a really fortunate upbringing in respect that I knew football. I lived in and around the football club at Queen's Park Rangers growing up. Yeah. My father's influence, the advice that he'd given me. And I was lucky in that respect. But I tell you what, it was it was quite an experience. It really was. And it was fairly rocky when you got to Palace as well because they were really struggling. It got tougher as the... The season went on. Yeah, team of the eighties, a really talented young group of players who'd all come through together at Palace. I was the outsider, although I knew those players. I'd played with him. I'd played with Vince Allaire, Billy Gilbert, a number of players at England youth level. Um, Terry Venables was the manager. Um, we started the season. We went to Liverpool, the champions lost on the opening day of the season, and it was difficult. It was a difficult, um, well, you know, to come into the top flight and um, it wasn't going all their way. Mm. Obviously, that was the first time I, I felt, looking back on it, it was the first time that those Crystal Palace youngsters had come under that sort of pressure and, and, and also you know, scrutiny because they were great players. They, it was a, a, a superb team, but actually, you know, this was the real world and, and they were finding it difficult. So were you almost expected to take a senior role because of what you'd cost and the profile you had, despite um, the fact that age-wise you were actually quite close to those players? Yeah, I think, I think there, was, there, was, there was no leeway. It was like, you know, you were bought to score goals. You have to come in here and you have to, you know, you have to score, yeah. uh, score outscore anyone because yeah, they paid that money, they transferred, um, swapped Kenny for yourself. Um, so there was big expectations, definitely. Mm. So um, later on, when you come back from France after leaving Bordeaux, you, you ended up at, at Manchester City, and they had a, a, an interesting set of young players themselves, didn't they? And you know, you think of that five-one game. I know you were out injured for that game. I was, but when, yes. when, they, when they beat Manchester United five-one yeah. in '89, which is a result that really sticks in my head from my, my childhood. You think of how good. Um, David White was in that yeah. game. Andy Hinchcliffe, players like that, of course. Steve, Redmond, Steve Redmond, Paul Lake. Paul Lake, of yeah. course. We, we yeah. know what happened to him because Amazing of in, injuries yeah. and, and, and whatnot. What do you think was the difference between a, a group of players like that and you know that team of the eighties at Palace, and say the Manchester United team of the mid nineties? Because the reason that say that United team went on and achieved all that they were meant to achieve and the others didn't. I mean, it's not just down to talent, is no, it? No, no, absolutely not. It is having that, it's having that desire, mentality, dealing with what, what might be criticism at a young age as well. Mm. Um, and in a way, I, I was in a, a different position at City because of the experiences I'd had. I was, yeah. uh, I was, I was 30, I'd come back from France, I'd just about experienced everything that, that I could have done in a playing career. Yeah. Um, and and had a really good rapport with those young players and they they were talents it, it was um it was it, it, it was a an, i would say an emerging manchester city at that time mm. that they'd been promoted to the top flight they they predominantly they were young obviously there was a number of of uh, more experienced players that were added gary mm. megson came in yeah colin hendry came in at the same day that i signed for manchester oh, city yeah. so there was there the, the mel machin who was the manager at the time realized that although he had these good young talents he needed some experience bolted onto that as well so if we go back to 86 87 the outstanding season of, of, of your career and again it's something that really sticks in my mind from my childhood because it's, it's the first season that I really watched football regularly 86 87 and you were absolutely unstoppable I mean 49 goals 
that's something that didn't really happen then. I know in the era of Messi and Ronaldo, we've become almost desensitised to those yeah. sort of numbers. But for them, it was absolutely extraordinary. I mean, presumably you felt good coming into the season, but did you feel like anything like that was possible? No, and, and to be honest, I never ever thought or never had a target until right at the very end of the season. When so, the 50 was close. Yeah, when the 50 was close and going into the cup final, last game of the season as it always was then, yeah. I needed two goals to get to 50. Um, and yeah, there, there, there was Jimmy Greaves' record at 46, which he'd reminded me about yeah. right at the start of the season when I he interviewed me for the St. and Greavesy show, his TV show at the oh, time. Yeah. And Jimmy said to me, and I, obviously I knew Jimmy because he'd actually come to Tottenham when my dad played there. And people have always said, he sort of came in and replaced my dad who played in the double side. Yeah. Um, dad always told me that he was the greatest goal scorer he'd ever seen. He mm. said, there's no doubt there'll never be a, a goal scorer like Jimmy Greaves. And there I was, 10 games into the season, sitting with Jimmy Greaves interviewing me. And he says to me, you carry on like this, son. I had 10 goals in 11 games. He said, you could break my record. And I, I, I didn't even, to be honest, didn't even know about it at that time. Mm. And I just went, no, you're joking, Jim. No one's going to break that record. And that was 46, which I broke on semi-final day at Villa Park. And then when you played Watford, when we played Watford, yeah. And then went on to, to to amass 49 with the with the first goal in that 87 Cup final. So it, it was a, it was strange because people said, "Well, oh, you must 50 must have been your target." I would never have envisaged 50 being the target and aiming for that. It was literally it was. I'm going to score as many goals as I can today, given the chances that the, the team created and the way the team was set up was perfect for me, mm. perfect for a lot of the individuals that were in that team. Uh, and David Pleat has to take a lot of credit for that. And it was a very, very special Tottenham side, isn't it? I mean, you know, it was I, a great, I think, yeah. I think when we talk of Tottenham, like older fans will think of that 60 61 team that, that, that your dad played in. Um, that, that was the best team ever. And yeah. I, obviously, I grew up listening to that. Yeah, and and every for me the way I describe it, every Tottenham team since has been trying to live up to that double side, and, and rightly so. Yeah, incredible feat. Um, and but what they did was just something that is, is very unlikely to be repeated. Well, I mean, there's there's that that famous thing after they uh, lost the the semi final in the European Cup the following year, where Bella Gutman, the Benfica coach, says um, says to them, "Well, after the game, I." Tottenham are going to win the, the European Cup in the next couple of years. It's inevitable. And then, obviously, they go 40-odd years without, without even being in it. Yeah. And I think now, like more, in, in a more modern sense, people look at Harry's side that got in the Champions yeah. League. Which uh, I worked, obviously worked with Yeah, him. of course. And they, they think of the team last year that got in the Champions League final. But because because you guys didn't win a trophy. I mean, do you understand where people are coming from now when they say that Pochettino needs a trophy almost to, to set it off? I mean, Absolutely, yeah. Because, yeah. because yeah. Like, like you guys, you played that epic season for a, a, a point in 86-87 on the back of your goals and all the, all the fantastic football. You were there, there or thereabouts at the top of the table. You got to the semi-finals of the League, League Cup. Cup. You got to the final of, of, the, of, of, the, of the FA Cup. Yeah, I mean, how hard is it to say that we didn't end up with a trophy? It was very, very tough. It was tough because I think people enjoyed the football we played. Mm. I would say it was it was the Tottenham way in 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 respect that 
you know, we we played the game that we knew if we conceded, we could outscore the opposition. Yeah. And that that was, I think, that was something that, that David had instilled in us. Yeah. Obviously, he wanted us to be, you know, rock solid at the back. We did let goals in, but we always had that confidence that we could we could score with, you know, Chris Waddle, Glenn Glenn Hoddle, my cousin Paul, myself. There there was goal scorers in the team yeah. that we always felt. Yeah, we'll 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 beat you four three or yeah. or two one or three two. That was that was the way we played, and I think we entertained. Um, and as you say, we went very very close with, without winning anything. Um, Unfortunately, the team broke up very quickly the following season. Yeah, with Glenn going and and and, and other things, but it was a it was a fantastic team to play. I mean, the, the talent in that team was absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, uh, as, yeah. as you say, and um, I think you know people think of. Arsenal pulling away from Tottenham in the in the Arsenal Wenger years, for example. Yeah. But at that point, there was no doubt who the best team in, in in North London were, which I guess must have made it so tough getting over losing to them in the in the League Cup semi. Semi-final, because for, yeah. for, for younger yeah. people, there were no away goals in the semi then. So after they came back and won the game in the second leg at White Hart Lane, because you guys had been two 0 up on aggregate, That's they ended right. up going to a replay. That's right. He did. Yeah. And and the the chairman tossed for, for venue for the for the third game right and uh, Irving Scholar the then chairman of Tottenham won the toss and we played at home yeah and I remember it well it, it's a six minutes of my career as a player that I'll never forget because I score mm. so we're in front again over the course of nearly three games yes. we're in front with six minutes to go Richard Goff headed it down and I, I, I smashed it into the corner. Yeah. And and it was right, this is it. We we you know, we're we're going to Wembley. Mm. And I always say Charlie Nicholas turned his ankle, he went off, yeah. Ian Allenson came on, first touch he scored, one all, equaliser, and the late David Rocastle scored in I think it was a ninety third or fourth minute. Wow. To to win the game two one, for them to go through. They went through to play Liverpool in the final and Charlie Nicholas scored two goals to beat Liverpool 2-0 in the final at Wembley. I'll never forget that because it was like, and that was the first dressing room that I've walked into where there was, your teammates are literally slumped in the corner, on the floor, on the treatment table, crying. And, and I walk in with two bottles of champagne. <laughs> crazy guy presents me with two bottles of champagne as I'm walking down the tunnel having just got basically you know you feel as if you've just been robbed yeah and he says come on smile and I'm like and it was the sponsors giving me two bottles of champagne because I'd broken the league cup goal scoring record that season with 13 goals my my goal was the 13th and again these things stick in your mind it was Sir Jeff Hurst and Rodney Marsh who played with my dad in 67 to win the League Cup for Queen's Park Rangers, who scored 12 goals in one season's competition. And I scored 13, and I still, to this day still hold that record. And I'll never forget it. And there's me walking in with two bottles of champagne, and the guys are crying in the dressing room. I mean, that, that's one of those images that, you know, you don't really associate with, with football, isn't it? Yeah. Because, yeah. because, you know, you think of the glory and like the heroic persona of the players when they're on the pitch. I remember like years ago speaking to um, Michel Bastos who used to play for, for Lyon and he was saying that when they got knocked out of the 2010 World Cup in, in South Africa by the Netherlands in the, in, in the quarterfinals, um, he said he came back into the dressing room once you've got, you've got the squad, squad of 23, all the support staff, and he said you're sat in a dressing room 
with 40 blokes all crying their eyes out. And that's something, you know, you're not used to hearing from football at all. That's something that I, I think came across quite nicely in the book. You managed to touch on the more vulnerable side of stuff. You talked yeah. about, like, your own doubts as, as well. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting, I mean, you're clearly a, a player who knew your own mind and you know you, you didn't like for example when you first offered the move to Manchester City from Bordeaux you, you, you said no and you stuck with it even though the club wanted to get rid of you but something that's very clear in that is that the player power as we know it today simply didn't exist in your Absolutely. era do you yeah. wonder how your career might have been different if it had have been I don't know, 15 years or 20 years further forward. Well, yeah, I think you all you, do, you always try to imagine what yeah. it might be like. And obviously the nature of the game, the finances that are involved now. Um, yeah, I, I would have, certainly would have been in, um, I would say, a, a, a position of power in terms of, um, one, negotiating contracts. Mm. Um, because of, again, because if you look at my career over the, over the, the, the course, the goals that I'd scored, um, yeah. You know that that comes at a premium and a price today, as it did then. But being but you relative, never have an, you never had an agent, did you? No, no, no. I didn't. I only only uh, I used Dennis Roach when I went to Bordeaux because obviously going abroad. You and, don't know uh, the market exactly. So yeah. that was that was the first time that I used um, or the necessity for an agent was there. He he did a, he did a, a fine job for me, um, but that was something that was alien to me until that point. Yeah. Hmm. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble.
so you, you do go to Bordeaux in in '88, and um, well, it, it's, it's different, isn't it? Everything, I, I, everything. The I, whole experience is different. I mean, you had it in your mind to to go abroad for uh, for, for for quite a while. Um, why Bordeaux? Well, what happened, I was 28, I went out of contract, so although it was freedom of contract, it wasn't freedom of contract. They still had it, to pay. They, they would have had to pay a transfer yeah. fee, um, agreeing with, with Spurs, but I, I was as free as a, as a player to negotiate with whoever or talk to whoever I want. Yeah, um, yeah it was that stage in my career that that was the, the only time that I was going to be in that position, that I could actually control my destiny, where I was going to go. I'd always had that feeling that I wanted to play abroad mm. I would have loved to have gone and played in Italy just mm. I wanted I think the challenge of trying to score goals in Italian football at that time mm. was something that I just felt would be the biggest challenge that I, I could have yeah. you know, I could have faced um, Bordeaux made an early move in terms of before my contract actually finished mm. in the summer so it was uh, March April before the contract was running out they negotiated with Spurs Spurs agreed a transfer fee and um, it was a case of them me negotiating with them, which I did. Everything was favourable. Um, Bordeaux was a big football club in French football over yeah. that decade. Yeah. Um, very, very. Oh, it was. And I, I obviously I spoke to people who knew about French football then, and this description I was given was: this is the Liverpool of France. Mm. This is the Liverpool who win the, the either win the league, win the league and cup, or play in Europe. So. All, all those things were a big attraction. Mm. It, I was going into the unknown. There was no doubt about. Or, or I didn't. I didn't know what to expect, but I wanted to experience it. What, what about the first day when you arrived? Because at the training ground at Leo, there's that huge chateau Amazing. in the middle. It's not getting changed in a port cabin, is it? No, not at all. No, it was really dramatic. And uh, obviously, over the over the years with my career in England mm. some of the training grounds were very basic unlike they are today yeah and even you, Chelsea I guess when, yeah, when you were there yeah that's right they was out at um, near, near, near uh, Hollington near mm. Heathrow Airport uh, you know wind swept open almost there was there was training grounds that had porter cabins that mm. no problem because I love training but mm. all of a sudden you come into this sweeping drive beautiful chateau and it's like wow what you know what is this down into the cellars which were beautiful in terms of the, the medical facilities mm. the hydropool the whole thing and again that was a in a way that was a whole new experience the way that you you know you condition in everything it, it was a it was a new education for me it really was well I, I mean when you worked out that training was different conditioning was different diet was different and this is still in the late 80s yeah with that and when I think post-career when you were a kicker for the London Broncos for a bit which again is a completely different world and you talk in the book about how thorough um, the physical tests are yeah and the education and detail, yeah. attention to your technique yeah. ex exactly yeah. when you went forward into coaching how did what you took from Bordeaux and that NFL experience affect the way that you coached? It, 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 I thought it was fantastic. It was a great help because I just felt it gave me it, it gave me more knowledge having yeah. experienced that. In a way, I, I I knew of the the old school way because yeah. I'd been brought up through apprenticeship and and coming through yeah. and uh, the way that you know you trained and you worked as as a young player developing obviously through the eighties. And then to have that experience and then moving into coaching yourself, 
managed to, you know, I, I felt, I, I hoped I managed to combine a lot of those, uh, a lot of that knowledge in, into the way that I coached. And um, I think it helped me. It was, it was a great education. It really was. I mean, do you almost wish it had happened earlier in your career? I mean, in terms of like a, a technical perspective, you talked about how the, the, the players worked a lot more on, on technique rather than it just been considered as a given because you've, you've got that yep. far and you know you're working with um, young players who are coming through like who, who we know like uh, Bizente Lizarazu, Lizarazu uh, yeah. Christoph yeah. Dugary players, yeah. players like that that's right yeah and seeing them come through Bordeaux's academy the way that, that obviously the way that they work there the way that they you know the, the sessions that they had the technical sessions seeing them work um, was it almost a forerunner to, to what we now understand as the norm here that with, mm. with the influence of and I've got to say a coach like Arsene Wenger mm. arriving and then starting to instill that 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 type of philosophy and and and, uh, and system um, and I, I was fortunate to experience it obviously at the latter end of my career but I think that 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 helped me in my coaching coaching days I mean in terms of when you were still a player and you went back from Bordeaux to, to, to Manchester City was there any sense of you saying well, this is how they do it in Bordeaux, and maybe that would work for you. Or people quite yeah, closed yeah. and set in their ways. No, they, they, those questions were asked. Obviously, Mel Machin um, was the manager there. They um, uh, and they asked, you know, what we'd been doing there, how it worked. Um, but it was the old school way. It mm. was the long runs, pre-season training. It wasn't perhaps the two or three sessions a day. Mm. Um, it, it, it was a tough physical pre-season that we mm. did at City. But it, but it wasn't structured in the same way that I'd experienced in, in my time in France. And um, I, I do think, you know, there's pros and cons to it all, and it's finding that 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 right blend and happy yeah. medium. But it has certainly moved towards that. So much more is known: uh, the physiology of the players, the, the psychology of the players now, yes. and and players have to they have to buy into that these days they have to understand that and I think that the education now at the clubs certainly the Premier League clubs with the academies and the way they're in place facilities at Spurs which obviously I know of are, are second to none the opportunity for these young talents to develop themselves is absolutely extraordinary so, so what about the actual footballer at, at Bordeaux I mean to an extent it must have been a pinnacle and certainly in retrospect you look at some of the players you played with like Jean Tiganar, Eric Cantona Eric came, uh, yeah. uh, arrived as, yeah. as well and you know you, you played Enzo Schifo was en the, Enzo the, Schifo, the, the, yeah. the Belgium centre uh, midfield player uh, yeah wonderful players great talents and obviously you know they they it, it was as I say it was it was just such an experience mm. and before going, it was something that I want to experience, mm. and afterwards, it was something that I always said, "I'm glad I did that." It yeah. was important that I did that as as part of my career. The opportunity was there, and I'm glad I took that opportunity. I, I mean, how how was Cantona? I mean, he came with a certain reputation already. Enfant terrible. Yeah, he was uh, he was he was crazy. He was talented. He was young, naive. Yeah. Um, but he had a he had a, an arrogance about him even at, at that time. Obviously, his career was in turmoil in terms of what happened with him, with his coach, and um, you know it's all, all documented. He threw his shirt in the coach's face when substituting, and banned from the national yeah, team. Banned from the national team. He's not going to play in French football again. All of a sudden, he turns up at, at Bordeaux, <laughs> which was something that was 
it was crazy but yeah. um, you could see he was a talent and um, it, it was three months I, I played played with Eric for, for three months and then didn't bump into him until ironically I was at West Ham and he just arrived at Leeds yeah. and I was getting off the coach at Ellen Road with as a West Ham player and he was walking into the ground and he turned to me he Clive what are you doing so I said I'm a West Ham player now Eric and he was like <laughs> As he, he just walked off but you know Eric was well we, we all know what he did at Manchester United yeah. and, and he, he had that he had that presence he had the ability and Manchester United when again you, you look at players careers Manchester United was the was the theatre that he needed it was the yeah. platform that he needed to to show what he was capable of but when you talk about the improbability of him turning up at Bordeaux in the first place I mean, was that a typical Claude Bez move? Because, of course, the the president... Bernard Tappi, Claude Bez, yeah. I mean, he was... Like, people talk about Bernard Tappi, but I think it's sometimes even easy to overlook the fact that Claude Bez was one of the personalities of French football in the 1980s. I mean, he's very much a larger-than-life character. Absolutely. What was it like working with him, and what was your first impressions when you originally signed for Bordeaux? It was amazing. Um, he wasn't the tallest man. He had the long moustache. Mm. He, he, you could see that he, he was a, he was a powerful person. Um, mm. And yeah, it was quite an experience. It wasn't too long, probably six weeks in that I got the call. I had to go to his house, and there I was sitting there. And as I walk in, ah, oh, Clive, you're a great player, but you must go away. Uh, sorry, Mr. President, what, what do you mean? You must go away. It's like Arsenal all over again, but yeah, just in it's French. Like, yeah, but. Why? What? Ah, oh, it's not working. It's not working, and it and it and it happened a couple of times through the season until obviously the end of the season that um, I moved and come back to uh, come back to England. But yeah. and and Tigana, who was club captain, who, who, who got changed next to me on the very first time that Emi Jacquet who was coach, come in. He said, "Oh, Clive, you must see the president at five o'clock at his house." And I turned to John, just said, uh, what, "What is that?" And he just waved. He went, "Oh, fuck, Clive!" He's <laughs> <laughs> like, "What are you talking about?" It's just, but so you're in a foreign country. You've got a club that have bought you. Then all of a sudden they don't. But I, I would say that even then, obviously because of those experiences I had at a very young age, the QPR, Arsenal, Palace yeah. scenario, that it was like, "Oh, okay, I can, I can deal with this. I can handle it." Yeah. So that that experience early on really I think really held me in good stead as I moved forward through my career with transfers and rumour mill and you poss- possibly going staying or whatever um, I could handle it I could deal with it and I, I, I guess the, the thing that comes across in the book as well is that on a, on a personal level it was quite a tricky time for, for you and your family at, at Bordeaux with some stuff that you were going through I mean they didn't handle it particularly well is that what made you come back to England or yeah, you I just think, needed the family at that yeah, time yeah I think it was um, yeah we we, uh, we lost a son um, uh, Charles was still born which was obviously very very tragic a really mm. really difficult time um, and yeah the club didn't handle uh, that period particularly well um, and I, I think I realised there that it, it, it just was about what I did as a footballer there, there perhaps wasn't the the um, the support that I needed 
Um, and so did you feel as if you were just treated as collateral? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That 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 was the way it was. That was the way it unfolded. That was the experience I went through. Was or that, the experience we went through? Was that a thing for footballers generally, or was that specifically with Bordeaux? I think, I think it was. It was. It was an indicator as to yeah. Generally, um, they're, they're, I, I can't I, I can't say that about all the clubs, no, because um, I hadn't experienced that before. Obviously, I'd experienced the transfer of Arsenal, but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the same sort of circumstances. But no, um, yeah, there was. I think, and again, it's only in hindsight and looking back that you realise exactly what was happening at Bordeaux, and it wasn't till yeah. many years later that I found out about the Claude Bez and his wheeling dealing his training yeah. and uh, he, the way he used players um, in the transfers that, that the club uh, went through and of course eventually post uh, playing career you end up back at Spurs you park some very exciting times some very interesting times first uh, with Martin Yola's coach and then later under, un, under Harry Redknapp when Spurs got back into the Champions League after winning that game at Manchester City and then you went through I mean I think people forget it now a little bit because of what happened in the Champions League last season but that was extraordinary from the point where you were 3-0 down at, at Young Boys yep. in the, the first the, the first round of the playoff, playoff yeah. to the, the bit where you're 4-0 down against Inter and Gareth Bale goes absolutely crazy to the re return of that when Bale tears Mike on to shreds again. It's an extraordinary Champions League run. And with your experience of the European game, how much were you able to, to, to offer, do you think, in terms of preparing for that? Well, I think, obviously, it, we were treading new ground as a football club to be in the Champions League. First yeah. time Tottenham Hotspur had been in the Champions League, the, the, the qualification stage into the group stage, which... You know when that draw was made and we 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 got young boys there you know we there was there was some fist pumping it was like yeah we've we, because that was yeah. if there was the ideal draw it was young boys burn no disrespect to them yeah but what an opportunity for us to to be in that uh, champions league group stage as we did we prepared in every in the same way that we did for every game I went to, you know, went to to, uh, to Burn, watched them play, watched them lose a league home game at home the Saturday before we were going there mm. to play them in the Champions League knockout, and um, come back to say to Harry, as as you would, report back what you see. Harry would be all right. There's no, there's not a problem. We turn up, we play, you know, anywhere near our capabilities. We're, we're going to go through it. We've got an unbelievable chance. Yeah. Of course, three nil down or whatever it was after twenty minutes, and he's standing in the technical He turns to me, "You said we were going through." And it's like, "Oh my god, Harry, look, we are going through. Don't worry, don't worry." It's like, but you know, that was the roller coaster. Um, I know it was Basson, I think, who scored the second goal, which obviously got got us back in mm. touch, and we won the we won the uh, the, the corresponding second leg at, um, at White Hart Lane comfortably to go through um, but again I think uh, I think again it was that just that experience we needed that experience we needed to understand the level it was the next level it was you know how you how you have to perform in the Champions League and then moving into the group group stages we did we didn't get a particularly easy group um, but it was that you saw then the players who were uh, were able to to just not lift their game, but were able to produce at the level that was was necessary. Then, uh, Werder Bremen, 
Um, and then we obviously have, we we had um, the games against Inter, and oh, it was it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And the the players were growing at that time as well, so um, the whole experience was was important. But it, I think, having having played abroad, um, in a way, you sort of understand maybe your opposition's the mentality, the way that you you like to think that you know what they're they're thinking mm. um, and you're able you know you're able to portray that to the to the players so, so I, I guess finally the the thing that another thing that really comes across in the book is like when you're coaching it's it's about trying to recreate the buzz and I think a lot of old players find that don't they trying to yeah. recreate the buzz that you, you miss of you know the dressing room the excitement of the game itself all that sort of stuff when you think of those nights at the old White Hart Lane, especially when you know Inter and Real Madrid come, yeah. did that come close at least? Uh, it does as a coach. Yeah. You can't recreate uh, being actually playing, being mm. a player going across the right lane. There's, there's nothing that comes close to that. Mm. The involvement as a coach um, and hopefully the the influence or the impact that you can have on the players. It's, it's a different feeling but it's a, it's a rewarding feeling um, and just just to be part of it just just to you know the highs and lows the ups and downs which are obviously there they're mm. always there um, it, 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 it's like a drug it's mm. a drug that you, you you can't be without and and obviously personally it's it's a way of life it's what I know um, it's what I know it's what I love and it, it's, it, it was what I wanted to do so um, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed every minute of it. I, I was passionate about it, and I hope that comes through in the book. That you know, I'm I'm passionate about the game of football. I love it. I just love I love that. I love the game. Thanks so much for joining us, Clive. Pleasure. This was a Stakhanov production.